I'm excited to share with you a message about prayer that's really dear to my heart and about seeking God. One of my favorite verses that has sustained me for the last 18 years of walking with Jesus. And I hope that this message supernaturally and practically launches us into the best stage of praying as a church and as a family and fasting together that we've ever had so far. But before I talk about seeking God, I just want to remind you about how God sought me when I wasn't seeking God. Um, I'm going to share with you my story again. Uh, If you don't know me, this is the first time you've heard it. Uh, If you've heard this before, this is the next time (laughs) you've heard it. But uh, I grew up in central Oregon, which is, you know, the geographical center. uh, It's been confirmed the geographical center of Caucasia. And uh, I thought I had all sorts of things figured out. I was a cultured person. I knew what to do. And uh, even though I went to church sometimes, I didn't really seek God. I thought the, the people who were really into seeking God just didn't have anything better to do because they weren't as cool as me. And so I really went on seeking sin. And yet God had a campus ministry in my high school that was into seeking sinners. And I came into a relationship with Jesus. And I found in Jesus the only thing that will simultaneously satisfy your greatest hungers and yet give you greater hunger. So if you're in here today, why are we praying to Jesus as we fast? Because he is the only one who can satisfy a deep hunger. Are there political pundits out there trying to, to say that, hey, I'm the answer here? Or, you know, are, there, are there new things being sold, new video games, new movies out there that says this is what you need now, this is what you need now? Is there, are there things being marketed, politicized? Yes. But the thing that though all those things have in common from right to left is that they won't ultimately satisfy. Jesus is the one who satisfies your deepest hunger and yet gives you a greater hunger at the same time. And that's why we can simultaneously be amazed at what he's done and desperately hungry to seek him for more. We're going to seek him. I have a message about prayer. The title of my message is, The Lord is at Hand. Uh, Will, I need your help. Can you come up here? Uh, Will, you're going to play Jesus again. I just love a Jesus that looks like this. Beautiful Jesus right here. So... um, I'm holding Jesus' hand right now. And I want this picture to be in our minds about prayer. The title of my message is, The Lord is at Hand. The Lord is at Hand is, a, is it kind of an old-fashioned way of saying the Lord is present. But the Lord is, think about it physically, he's at hand. Now, I've held hands with this brother before and prayed to God. And many of you, whether it was at, at meals, at, at, at Christmas meals, or in growth groups, maybe you've held hands with people and prayed to God. But did you know that God is not some distant reality that you're holding hands with a person and praying to? God is a person, and he is at hand. So when, when we pray together, I pray that you would have uh, an illuminated sense of what it means by God's word to seek God, knowing that he is at hand. He is holding you, he is touching you, and he wants you to touch and reach out to him. Amen? Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. William Edward. 
The Lord is at hand. I'm going to ask everyone to stand to your feet. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Philippians 4. This is great riches here. It'll be up on the screen too. Philippians 4, we'll go verses 4 through 7. Lord, train our ears to hear you. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So right there, you all know that I'm not really creative with my titles. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you. You can be seated with me as we pray together. Lord, teach us to pray like this. Teach us to be in a constant state that fleshes out what we just read. Lord, we sing of your amazing grace, the undeserved favor towards us. And we can think back through 2015 and look forward to 2016, understanding your amazing grace. But Lord, your grace is the thing that enables us to do everything, including pray as we ought. So Lord, retool our prayer. Help us to think rightly about prayer in right context. God, forgive us for lumping in the good news with all the other news for being anxious about so many things going on in the world that we don't pray to you as if you are at hand, you're present. And we don't rightly categorize the the things that that could worry us into a lower category in our disposition, in our thinking. Forgive us. Teach us to pray as we ought. Amen. This passage is one of my favorite passages, as I've said, about prayer in all of the Bible. You know, it's amazing how prayer, throughout history, you see prayer being so overcomplicated. And I I even grew up thinking that prayer was something that I would need training on how to do, kind of. Um, I kind of grew up going to the Catholic Church sometimes, and and prayer was a thing that I couldn't just really talk to God, right? I mean, that's, that's way too simple. Well, let me tell you, it is scandalously simple. My babies, God is using to teach me how to pray. My four little ones. At night before I put them to bed, we've, we started this tradition this last year where we lay hands on each other. And uh, my kids love it. I don't... 
And, and I don't know what's going on inside their heads, but they love to say, Jesus, thank you. That's all they can say right now, my, my two-year-old and the three-year-old at least. But God is teaching me how to pray through them. They haven't yet complicated it with all sorts of religious barriers that we put on prayer. But Paul says here, in the middle of this passage, prayer can be as simple as making your requests known to God. What does that mean? Just tell him what you want. It's like everyone's favorite old school Spice Girls song. God's telling you, tell me what you want. What you really, really want. Some of y'all weren't alive for that, but I just informed you. God is saying, you don't have to overcomplicate things. You don't, you don't have to pretend like I don't already know what you need to make known to me. God is saying, tell me what you want. Make your requests known. And as we enter into a historical moment of prayer in this church, which this coming week of fasting and prayer is going to be our every nation prayer and fasting, Monday through Friday. Well, I'll remind you more about what you've already heard and paid close attention to on the announcements. I'll remind you at the end of the sermon. But this week is going to be amazing in making our requests known to God. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't already know your request in your heart, but rather that he delights in the childlike humility of you making known what he already knows. Maybe perhaps for your own sake, just tell him what you want. What, what do you want this coming year? Does anyone want anything from God? Does anyone have requests to be known to God? I see a few nods, a few amens, a few yes. Do you want peace in your job? Is there a provision that you're lacking, that you're needing from God? Are you wanting God to heal you? Are you wanting God to draw a dear family member to himself? Or perhaps, did you lose a gift card that was given to you at Christmas (laughs) and you want God's help in finding it? Now listen, make your requests known to God. As we sing in this song, he is a good, good father. And it glorifies him when you pray to him as such. In the big things and the small things. Tell him what you want. Make your requests known to God. And today I'm going to share with you some requests that I have on behalf of his church, which he's given me the momentary responsibility and stewardship to lead this church. I have some requests for God. And I'm going to share those things with you in hopes that you will join me this week, adding my requests to your requests, making them our requests to God. I'm going to share some of those things that I'm wanting God to do. New things. However, more, more than just praying for new things, I pray that we would pray in a new way. I pray that we as a church would go deeper into praying in a way that is with the revelation that he's already given and new understanding that we pray to a God who is at hand. And I think as we go through the context 
of the rest of this passage, this, this whole simple imperative where it says, hey, tell them what you want. Make your request known to the Lord. That's a very simple thing that we can do like children. But when we're better secured in everything else that it says, the context that we bring our requests into, it changes us. It changes the prayer, the person praying. I don't know how to say that in English. So I'm going to just read back through some of these verses. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Paul, Paul was in the midst of persecution when he wrote these things. So that's good context. Rejoice in the Lord always. But then it's like as if I wasn't already clear enough. Again, I will say, rejoice. You know, God knows the needs that you're going to present. The things that he's demanding you to make known to him are already known to him. He knows the things that you're going to present. But the question is, is do you know what he's already done? Are you imminently aware now of the prayers that you prayed yesterday in the amazingly providential ways that he has already come through for you? Because if you are able to remember those things, and you train yourself to remember, you'll better be in a state of rejoicing no matter what big things you're bringing before him. And look, I don't say that to quench your desire to approach God as a child. I'm not saying, well, don't you know that God's already done a lot of great things for you, so why are you bringing this little thing to him? No, 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 no. I'm saying that thing that might be so big that causes you so much worry if you would pray to God and you would remember, maybe it wouldn't seem so big in comparison to what he's already done. And then you can say, wow, you are so much bigger than this thing. Hey, God, because I'm in a state of rejoicing and you're helping me to remember better, I can move into asking you into praying rightly. Rejoice in the Lord always, it says. Verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Again, our understanding in verse 5, it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I like how it says, let your reasonableness be made known. Because one from a distance could think that we're saying, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. You know, positive thinking, that sort of thing. Like, just forget about all the things that are really happening in your life. You know, positive, think positive. Those are kind of things that I was trained to think growing up on the, the left coast there. Uh, you know, don't think about the bad things, just think about the good things. No, no, no. You have very real issues that are before us. And I'm all about positive thinking, but we don't have to be positive thinking in a way that's not reasonable. No matter what you're going through, if it's really hard things, it's a reasonable thing to rejoice and know that the Lord is at hand. And it's very reasonable, no matter what anxieties may mount in your heart, to not be overcome by anxieties. Because of what's very real and imminent in who the Father is. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is here. No matter what you're going through, he's gone before you and he is at hand. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. 
Now let's be real here. Anyone here ever been anxious about anything in the last three or four minutes? (laughs) Here, I'll add a command to this. This is me, not the Lord. Do not be ashamed about being anxious. Now check this out. A really simple thought hit me after meditating on this. Do not be anxious in anything but in everything. You know, in so many ways, we're in, in counseling people through really hard situations over the years. This verse has come back to me. And one real simple thing about verse 6 hit me uh, maybe last year at some point. And here, you guys ready for this? If God has to tell you in a command, like an actual command, to not be anxious... That means that he expects that that's a very real thing that you're going to be struggling with all the time. And so therefore, you don't have to be ashamed about it. Can anyone say amen? amen. So if, if he has to say, don't be anxious, it almost is presuming that it's kind of an automatic disposition of humanity. You go through life, you, go, you, know, you hang out with, with co-workers, you, you try to listen to your boss say the same thing again over and over, or, or you go through all the hard things about, of relationship, anyone, ever? It's easy to be anxious. It's automatic to be anxious. And yet he's saying, do not be anxious. So first of all, I'll say, don't be ashamed about being anxious. But based on what he's done, and based on he is how he is at hand, we have reasonableness to be made known to everyone, actual effectual grace to overcome very real anxieties about very real difficult issues. So therefore, do not be anxious. Now, I would say the biggest practical key with how to not be anxious Biggest practical key in how to pray, the thing that rightly secures us in making our requests known rightly in in right context, is given in the middle of this simple imperative at the end of verse 6. Check this out. The whole verse, part of this, this last part of this verse, says, do not be anxious about anything, but in Everything, everyone say everything. Everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, prayer and supplication is, it's as simple as this. Prayer is just talking to God about stuff. Now, I've heard people say before, you know, prayer is is a conversation with God. Well, I I don't want to pick apart that understanding. I like how it's made simple. But, um... I think prayer is simply talking to God. When, when he talks back to us, it's revelation in scripture. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's illumination and helping us to understand it. He speaks prophetically. He speaks in so many powerful ways. But prayer can be as simple as when it says here, through prayer and supplication, prayer just means talking to God. You know what supplication means? Asking him for stuff. It can be that simple. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything... By talking to God and asking him for stuff, let your request be made known to God. But there's that one little key in the middle of that that I, did, that I omitted there. Prayer and supplication. Anyone else help me here? Thank With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. This with thanksgiving part, when we effectively go and, and pray like this, sometimes I've, 
I've actually prayed through this verse often. Like I, I, when in the middle of a prayer service, we, we pray these ver- like verse by verse. God, here's the things that I want to pray about. Here's the things I'm going to supplicate about. Here's the things that, that I, I can be thankful for. And by the time I get to my thankfulness part, I realize that all the things that I'm going to be making known to him, it's kind of like, oh, those are, you've got that, God, man. With thanksgiving, training yourself to be a thanksgiving person. It forces you to, in the middle of your prayer, to compare future requests with past provisions. It changes the the prayer, the person praying. I think we're we're a tragically myopic people. We only see what's directly in front of us too often. We only see the now so that it's so difficult to appropriately be secured in yesterday's provision unto tomorrow's promise. And being a thankful person helps us to to disconnect from our myopic tendencies because we can remember what he's done in the past and have right context as his child to approach him about things in the future. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so today, I want to rejoice in three great things that I'm thankful for. That I'm going to, I'm going to, Give, show you things from 2015 that I'm thankful for. And those three things are going to provide context for things that I'm asking God about, that I'm hope that, hoping that you will join me in prayer about. Here's three great reasons for us as a church to rejoice. Genesis, the springs, and the radical opportunity that we had. I'm just going to, I'm going to, Be a historian for a moment about 2015. Y'all ready for this? I feel like we need to drop a beat when I say that. (laughs) Genesis, the springs, are a radical opportunity. First of all, Genesis. At the end of 2014, we went into 2015 daring to go the whole year of 2015 going through the book of Genesis. Basically, through years of walking with people, through real life issues, counseling people, one thing that we found that was consistent in our generation, uh, across ethnicities, across generations, just kind of one of the issues in our people today, is we tend to think that we're beyond all the problems of this old-fashioned scripture thing. And that we've progressed so much that we have, with all our new technologies and stuff, like we have new ideas, new ways of thinking. And I'll just tell you what, it's the same old issues. And so much of the pride of progression really prevents us from seeing that we haven't really progressed. We've really regressed in so many ways. And we need to retreat back to the scriptures so that we can see how our story begins here. And if we're going to see the redemption of our story, the things that cloud our thinking and our, our worries and our anxieties today, 
one of the most redemptive things that we can do is gain context in scripture. So we had this desire, Genesis, your story begins. We had 10 different meetings throughout the year about how we would divide 50 different uh, chapters of scripture throughout the whole year. And let me tell you, it was such an adventurous year. I've never been so excited about God's word as I was this last year, this next year, even more excited, of course. But my first, my first moment of, of having Jesus regenerate me, make me a new person, all of a sudden I'm reading the Bible and it's reading me. That first happened to me in 1997 when I came to know Jesus. And from 1997 until 2015, I, I've, I've been reading God's word, but man, 2015 was just a, a, a moment back to just the, the amazement of digging deep into this. And I know we as a church got a lot out of Genesis, but I got more than anyone else, I think. And you know what it showed us? It retooled us as a church that just showed us our way of preaching is not any better than any other church's way of preaching, but God has really marked us as a church that's going to continue to go through books of the Bible and see our story progress in his story. And Genesis was a really marking moment for us as a church. It marked how we trained up new leaders. Let me share with you some, some just go through the, a list of different preachers that I, I got to see different anointings come out in different contexts. You can cue up those pictures of Genesis. This is, a, this is our, our first story, Genesis in the beginning. Keep going. Saw all these different people, saw the, the, the gift of God come out in different beautiful people. One scripture. It was an amazing year that we went through Genesis together. And honestly, this, we came into this year, you can take that down, thank you. We came into this year, and one of the things that I, I, I feel like Genesis was a response to was a promise that God gave me when I was praying earlier on last year. I'd, God took me to Isaiah 43 when I was praying and, and doing a little prayer walk around Aquarina Springs. And uh, he took me to Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I am doing a new work. Do you not perceive it? It springs up from the ground, making a way in the wilderness. I didn't realize that that new thing he was going to be doing was connecting us to the old thing. That new thing was a Genesis. And Genesis provided a framework for new gifts to flourish in our church. New springs to gush forth in our church. New anointing, multiplied anointing. And what I found is, is that that verse and that thing that God was doing was something that had always been defining us. And the next thing that happened later in the year is God showed us how he had been changing our name. We changed from Christ Community Church, a great name that we had for six years, to the Springs. And it's not just, a, it's not just because, oh, there's another CCC in town, and, or just because I don't like acronyms in general. CCC uh, doesn't really mean anything. Uh, it's, it's that God changed our name. And we saw an amazing... Uh, work of the Lord. We have some pictures from our name change this year. 
Um, our, our, th- let me just stop here. What's great is we had a guy was able to, to, to get different streams of water that with, I think what he said, uh, negative space was able to, to give us an S in our name, but really just show how we as a people are the people that bring form to formless ones. The living water of Jesus in us brings form to people who need form, who need definition that, that they've looked for in so many other things. The refreshing that we bring as God's people. I think we have some pictures of, of uh, some of the things that have happened, and that's our, our new building. Check this out. Same church, new name, more Jesus. More Jesus has always been our, our tagline of sorts. It was a refreshing year. We had uh, celebrations. Um, what's cool about the springs, too, is uh, it kind of provides new context for us to launch out and have more of an exportable name. When we're going to different places and we're, we're providing a, a context for other people to grow and in other parts of the city, in other cities perhaps, we can spring forth with, with a new name that, that's a little bit easier to transport. I, uh, I was visiting one of our growth groups and uh, we had a guy that was asking me a question about uh, just kind of what our name meant. And I was able to, to share with him that, you know, he had a concern that, you know, taking Christ out of your, your name, does that mean you're rejecting Jesus? I said, that's a good question, but you know, to the contrary, it's Jesus that's renamed us so that we could have a more simple name to take who he is and his presence to other people. John 4, this is one of the promises Jesus himself makes to a woman thirsting after him. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And our desire is that who God has already made us to be would continue to multiply with overwhelming refreshing. We saw some amazing things in what God did last year. And it was, I'll say this, on the staff's end of things, it was somewhat tiresome going from out of summer into the fall with multiple services and, and balancing and juggling different things and a name change. And then two days after we changed our name, we put our sign up, we took the risk on a building that we, we've been renting to invest in our name change. Two days later, I got a call from the building owner of our church. And for years, we'd been praying and asking God, can you please let this building become available? And honestly, I struggled becoming anxious in recent years, knowing that across the street, the, finally the, the, the revitalization has started to occur, and I'm realizing the property values are going up, and man, if we don't have an opportunity soon, I don't know if we're going to be able to afford even a building like this. And I've heard all these sob stories of some of my other pastor friends, even in this city, who've tried to acquire land. And I'm just thinking, God, this is hard. And we got a call from the building owner. And we had a discussion about a great price that we were able to come to. And he, we basically, after 
a lot of conversating and, and asking around, we got to a price that was about 59% of appraised market value and had have a contract on it. The only catch was to purchase this building, uh, we would have to raise, by the end of the year, $68,000 in cash to have a down payment to pay off the building. And I didn't, you know, that's not how I planned it. I planned on us having like a year to think through things and have a good plan, a good campaign. And here I'm looking at this, and although this would provide all sorts of opportunity for, for us to have uh, land at a valuable price, for us to be able to minister with more of our funds in the coming years, to give more money to mission and all sorts of things, I wasn't really ready to just say, hey guys, since everyone here is so tired through, through a name change, how about we have a really fast, really intense building campaign? And uh, that wasn't kind of my plan. And, and yet, as I prayed through it, I sensed the Lord saying, I don't just want to raise money. It would be impossible to raise this money by this date. But I want more than impossible. I can do impossible. But I want to do something radical in everyone. I want radical generosity to spring forth in these people. And Peter, no matter what you try to do, don't hold me back from doing something radical. I want radical generosity. I want radical devotion to me. And I want radical relationship to flourish. And so we started setting out goals. We had a three-week series where we, we talked about radical devotion to God in hopes that people would step up and by the end of the year, read their purple books, a new commitment to reading the Bible. We had new commitments to growth groups that we were, we were, we were going for in our relationship, radical relationship part. We asked people that they would consider doing something sacrificial. My goal was that everyone would be on board. My goal was 30 people at least turning in cards that they would participate in this campaign. Not just $68,000, but a really a radical expression of what God was doing. And I'll take you to our video of our radical celebration when we got to announce the results of our campaign. We have in the bank $10,000 more than our need, which is good. We're in the process of, uh, we didn't know that there's appraisal costs and different things, so God knew. Basically, God radically did something deep inside me because I was so nervous about everything, and we've never been better and more together as a people, as a family. He did a radical thing. So here's my request for the coming year. I have three main requests to build off of this. Here's what I'm seeking God about. We went through Genesis this last year. In the coming year, I'm praying that more camaraderie develops around God's word, just like last year, except in a deeper way. More leaders are trained through what we do and going through God's word together. I'll give you a little hint of some of the books that I'm excited to go through together. We're going to go through Jonah. It's a wild ride. Titus. And if you thought Genesis had some crazy parts, we're going through Judges. If you know anything about God's word, it's pray for me. Uh, if not, get excited about Judges. Go read Judges now. We're going through a lot of different books in the second part of the year, but I'm excited about seeing God continue to mark us as a people through taking us back to, to showing us more of who we are and, and driving us forward in his word. I treasure this. 
about a month ago, Pastor Jim LaFoon. Uh, how many were, were, be able to, were able to hear for that? He, uh, he was sharing with us, just preaching to us and prophesying about our name. He says, I love the springs. And I love it in its plural, he said. He said, God's will for us is that we would become multiple springs. That this church wouldn't just be a place where it's a spring, where kind of practically people come to get full of water and then go away, but that we would all be springs. That we would be a people that have our wells so deep in, in our own time outside of the Sunday service that we'd go so deep in God's word that we become a well that springs forth. And all of us, there's little springs everywhere. And that, that word is a word that marks us. Our name is a creed. 50-something years ago, the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had said, I, I dream that, that they would live out the meaning of the creed. And you know what? I pray in Jesus' name that we as a church would live out the meaning of the creed, of our name, that we would be springs. That as we enter into a time of prayer, that we would be transformed in the midst of it. That we would be watering ourselves to the degree that we would water others like never before. And so radical. My, my final request in the context of the money that we've raised for the building. Now we have some cool plans that we're still in the process of working out with our bank and a few other construction bids where we're going to re-roof the place and repaint the place and have, a, have more accessible kids space and an entrance and a foyer and, and all sorts of things that we're in the process of, of going through right now to improve upon this place. But I'll tell you what, what's most imminent to my heart of, of the radical campaign really has more to do with the fact that I do believe that, in essence, the Lord has really built already the basic structure of, of this house, of who we are. There's no grandiose, new, wild, out there things, new vision, other than God has already done something. We've already seen him, through studying his word, radically simplify, transform a, a discipleship growth group plan and I'm praying that he would just breathe on it. That radically we would see more growth groups, more people taking growth steps, more growth groups, more growth steps, more Jesus. That's my radical prayer for this coming year. That, that we would build on the structure that God has already established here. The new thing is deeper root, greater fruit still. I'll give you some practical things too. I'm, I'm praying that a greater percentage of our church than ever is involved in our growth groups. That in this new year, if growth groups have been inconvenient to you, the, the ones that you've seen around, that you would start one that's convenient to you. We've done a lot of work to make it easy for us to start growth groups. All you need is a list of, of people that you're praying for, a VIP prayer list that we're gonna make available to you. You start praying for those people, and you ask them to lunch. We have growth group guides for you. We have video training. Everything is ready for you to simply be the springs. Your job is seek the Lord in prayer and watch him make you radical.
I envision children having a VIP prayer list and going to their schools and saying, I have names that I'm bringing before the great God in heaven every day. And I'm asking for these three kids in my class that they would be drawn to you, Jesus. And every day they're praying together. And we see families redeemed through these children being reached by children. Is that some new wild idea? No, that's radical. That's my prayer. And as we go into a season of prayer, into a week of fasting, as we do that, my prayer is that he would sanctify the prayers. He would sanctify us in our praying. He would purify us. And before we end this service, that's what I'm, I'm asking God to do, that he would purify us as we pray. Would you stand with me, please? You know, we can't, we can't be pure necessarily. As fallen humans, our nature is a depraved nature, sinful. We can't be pure. We can be purified. And as we pray, it's helpful to gain understanding of what God has already done and who God is and how he is at hand. But in order to have the peace that surpasses all understanding, as it says here in verse 7, to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, I'm asking you to join me in inviting the Lord to purify us. Jesus is the pure one. He is pure and he's holy. He lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. Then he rose again on the third day because the Bible says in Psalms, it says, he will not let his holy ones see corruption. He rose again from the dead so that he could purify us. So as we enter into prayer, I'm praying that you would join me in asking God to purify your prayer. If you've never given in 100% to the risen Christ, I want to just say right now before him, pray to him and say, God, make me new. Purify me. Make me yours. I give my life to you. It doesn't have to be a spectacle. I'm not even going to invite you up front at this point or make you raise your hand or any of those things, but you, you know who you are. And if you need to come up front, come up front. For all of us, let's, would you just pray with me and then we're going to sing a song together and we're asking God to purify us. Lord, help us. Help us to see who you are. Help us to be rightly aware of your presence.